0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays.
1: A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder. Do not steal, do not give false testimony, honour your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing, sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them. No one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life.
0: Claire, thanks very much for reading. Uh, Let's keep that Bible passage open in front of us and I'll pray for us now as we turn to it. We've sung, Heavenly Father, of the great thing that you have done in the Lord Jesus. And so we simply pray now that you'd help us to know how we should respond uh, to that great thing that you've done. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, for me, uh, one of the saddest news stories uh, in a long time hit the news this week. A terminally ill 14-year-old girl won the right to have her body cryogenically preserved That is, at the moment she died, to have her body frozen in the hope that in the future medical advances would be able to revive her and to cure her cancer. The girl, who can't be named for legal reasons, died in October and was then taken to the US where her body was preserved. Now, whatever you think of the ethics of cryogenics, emotionally, surely we can understand that girl's request. Here was such a, a young one robbed of life, In a letter to the high court judge, she wrote, I'm only 14 years old and I don't want to die. I think being cryopreserved gives me a chance to be cured and woken up, even in hundreds of years' time. I want to live and live longer, and I think that in the future they may find a cure for my cancer and wake me up. I want to have this chance. And look, what that young girl hoped for is a longing that the vast majority of us have, whatever age we are, When our time comes, we don't want it to be the end. Most people want there to be life beyond death. And that is the issue at the heart of our Bible passage this evening. Look again with me at verse 18. A man, a ruler, ran up to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a great question. And that is our first heading, a great question. I've uh, called the bloke who, who ran up to Jesus, Sir Richard Mann. Sir, because Luke tells us he was a ruler there in verse 18. And Richard, or, or rich for short, because he was a rich man. A ruler was loaded, Sir Richard Mann. And looking at his question, he thought, he thought clearly and honestly about his death. He didn't want cryogenics, but he wanted something much greater. He wanted life beyond the grave that went on forever in the presence of the Lord God Almighty. As I've thought about Richard Mann this week, I've, I've, I've grown to like him. Yes, he was wealthy, suits from Savile Row, ties from Harrods, cruising around in an Aston Martin DB9, he was loaded. But on all the evidence before us, he wasn't an arrogant show-off. He approached Jesus courteously. Verse 18, he called him good teacher. He wasn't a know-it-all. He was humble enough to ask Jesus a very important question. Verse 18, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And it turns out he was a moral bloke. Uh, We'll see in a moment in verses 20 and 21. uh, He tried to keep God's commandments. So he's got manners, he's got morals, and he's got money. It seems that rich has everything, everything that is, except the one thing that mattered the most, eternal life, because you might have everything, but you can't take it with you. So he asks a great question, the million-dollar question. He wants to know how to be sure to have life forever beyond the grave. A great question, which led to, secondly, a surprising response, verse 19 and 20. Now, there are a number of surprises in this passage. I'll point them out as I see them on the way. But this is the first one. And it's the way Jesus responds to the great question that Richard Mann asked. Look, if someone asked me what they had to do to get to eternal life, I know what I would do because I've done it. I would grab a copy of Two Ways to Live, and I almost always have one on me and I'd go through the the six boxes and then ask them to respond so that they could be sure of going to heaven. But surprisingly, that isn't what Jesus does. Look at verse 19. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. On first hearing, it seems that Jesus is ignoring this most crucial question of eternal life. But no, he's not. The issue of eternal life and how we get it is entirely bound up with the person of Jesus Christ and who he is. And so in verse 19, Jesus said, oh, You called me good. Is that because you know who I am? 4 verse 19, No one is good except God alone. Do you think I'm God? Now, that is a very important statement to believe if any of us are going to inherit eternal life. No one is good except God alone. It's important for us to grasp because we use the word good quite differently from the way Jesus defines it here. We are quite happy to describe someone we like or, or someone we admire as a, as a good person, a good bloke. Now, I guess most of us would think of ourselves as good. Oh yeah, we're perfect, but we generally think we're good. But Jesus states here very clearly, there is only one person who can be put into the good category and that is god alone so the psalmist writes give thanks to the lord for he is good so here jesus says to sir richard do you call me good because you think i'm god or do you have a wrong understanding of what it means to be good and to get to the bottom of sir richard's understanding jesus begins to explore with him what real goodness is verse 20 you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't give false testimony, honour your father and mother. Jesus points to God's law and specifically to the, to the 10 commandments, except uh, here's the second surprise for me, he doesn't list 10. There are only five quoted here in verse 20. When our children were younger, I think like all children, they loved singing nursery rhymes over and over and over again. So on long car journeys, we heard the same nursery rhymes again and again, blasting out of the car CD. The wheels on the bus go round and round, round and round, round. They drove me nuts. The children loved them and knew them back to front and inside out. And after a while, I couldn't stand it any longer. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. Row, row, row. The wheels on the bus. Not again. Now, because we sang them so often and because the children knew the words so well, if ever I stumbled over a word or got a word wrong, the children would laugh at me and say, silly daddy. Now, what is true of children and nursery rhymes would have been true for Richard Mann with the Ten Commandments. He was a good Jewish boy would have been taught, not nursery rhymes, but the 10 commandments from a very early age. He says as much in verse 21. He'd have known them inside out and back to front. And so as Jesus quoted five of them, Rich should have said, silly Jesus, you've missed some out. But what Rich actually said revealed a typical misunderstanding. And that's our third heading, a typical misunderstanding, verse 21. Do you see it there? Rich said, I've kept all the commandments all my life there's the typical misunderstanding it's the belief that we're good people that we've kept god's commandments but jesus has already said no one is good except god alone we don't even keep the first commandment or the second my guess is there's quite a few here we don't even know what the first or the second are but you see that's what sir richard should have realized he should have said to jesus hey jesus you've only listed five commands here what about the others what about the first commandment you shall have no other gods before me and the second you should not make for yourself any graven image don't worship anything else and then the penny should have dropped for sir richard it should have dawned on him that far from keeping god's law and far from being a good person he should have realized that he'd fallen at the first hurdle and the second We don't put God first. We do have other gods. We are not good. But Rich didn't get it. He thought he was a good bloke. And here's the thing. If you think you're a good person, you'll never come to Jesus for eternal life. You don't need to. If you think you're a good person, you'll think you deserve heaven. Now, look, on this issue of being good, if we compare ourselves to other people, we might well think we're okay or probably better than most. But if we compare ourselves to God, to the one who is good alone, then we realise we are far from God and far from good. Now, to get rich to grasp that, Jesus gave him a challenging command, our fourth heading, a challenging command, verse 22 When Jesus heard this, that is him saying, I've kept all the commandments. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now, please don't misunderstand this. This is not saying that in order to be a follower of Jesus Christ, we all have to sell everything we have. No, I think this is a specific demand for Sir Richard Mann. He was a rich man, wealthy, and wealth had become his god money had become more important to him than the lord and he had to realize that you can imagine him doing what so many people do today trusting money to get themselves through any situation in life we think you see if we can earn enough money then we can have anything we want and then we'll be happy money brings me happiness and we think that if we have enough money in the bank it'll give us security so we talk about um saving up for a rainy day Thinking that if a hard time comes, then, you know, if our health fails or if we find ourselves in a fix, then all we have to do is turn to the little nest egg and buy our way out of trouble. Buy a lawyer. Buy some health care. I can get out of any problem with money, can't I? Now, do you hear what we're doing when we think that way? We're putting money in the place of God, thinking that money will make us happy and content, and that money will give us security and peace and uh, peace of mind. Only God gives us those things. And so Jesus said to Sir Richard, sell everything you have. Because Jesus wanted Sir Richard to see that he'd broken the first commandment. He didn't put God first, but money first. And he'd broken the second commandment. Money had become his idol, his God. I'm trusting money for the future. And while it was money for Sir Richard, it could just as easy be something else for us. It might be money, it might be something else. Jesus needed Sir Richard and all of us to understand this. Because until we realise we're not good people, we'll never turn to follow Jesus. Not really. Because when we think we're good, we think we deserve heaven. And if you think you deserve heaven and eternal life is secure, you don't need Jesus Christ. And so knowing Sir Richard's heart, Jesus told him to sell everything, to show him he'd broken the greatest commandment there was. He didn't love the Lord his God with all his heart and soul and mind and strength. And we see that next in the the next verse, verse 23. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Reminds me of the story of the man who was attacked by an armed gunman. The gunman said to him, give me your wallet and everything you have, it's your money or your life. And the man just stood there and did nothing. And the gunman was getting a bit agitated. He said, what are you waiting for? Come on, quickly, your money or your life? And the man said, all right, all right, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Money or life? That's the issue here. So Richard had run up to Jesus and asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, give away all your money, then come follow me. Money or life is a no-brainer, isn't it? Jesus can give us eternal life, life in his everlasting kingdom, Life that is perfect and wonderful and carefree forevermore. But we'd rather hold on to our money. Our money which can't bring us happiness now and we can't take it with us anyway. Now look, please don't misunderstand what's going on here. Jesus is not saying that we can in some way earn our way into heaven by giving away everything we have. That's not the point at all. The point is that we'll never truly turn to Jesus unless we realise we've broken God's commands It is only Jesus' death on the cross that wins us eternal life. You see, I'll only turn there, I'll only turn to Jesus if I realise that I'm not a good person. And we're going to remember again the wonderful death of the Lord Jesus as we take bread and wine later on in the meeting. We'll only trust in Jesus' death for us when we realise that we are far from good and far from God. But to begin following him, we must put Jesus first. Now, the Bible calls that word repentance. It's not written here, but this is what this is describing. When we first start following Jesus, the Lord usually calls us to demonstrate our repentance in a very definite way. I wouldn't be at all surprised if I went around this room and asked you, what was it when you became a Christian that you needed to kind of say, I'm I'm giving that up, I'm gonna follow Jesus. For me, it was playing football on a Sunday morning. Now, look, it was very important to me at the time, didn't matter at all now, Can't play football anyway, couldn't play football then, but it was very important to me. But I knew that I had to make time to be with God's people on a a Sunday. I knew that needed to be a priority. And so I stopped doing that. The Christian life begins as we repent and believe. Believing in Jesus, trusting his death to bring us forgiveness, and repentance, putting Jesus first. But it doesn't just start that way. The Christian life is an ongoing life of repenting and believing. We need to keep on believing, trusting him alone. And we need to go on repenting. And so there'll be some here tonight who will know that God has been challenging you to repent of something and to put Jesus first because whatever that thing is, you've been pushing Jesus out. He's no longer number one. It's not the way you earn your way to heaven, but it is a a correct response in response to all that Jesus has done for you. To realise you're not good and you've put other things in God's place and to say, I'm going to get rid of that, I'm going to follow Jesus. This uh, challenging command, this particular challenging command was followed by, fifthly, a provocative comment. Verses 24 to 27. Look at verse 24. Jesus looked at this man, Richard man, and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Now, I doubt it that many of us think we're in the same league as Sir Richard Mann when it comes to wealth. The truth is, though, we are wealthy, very wealthy, Compared to the majority of people living on planet Earth today, we have a lot of money. Come to that compared to the majority in Britain or even in Sheffield. Here in Ford, we have so much. And living in such a wealthy part of the world, seeing people live such comfortable and lavish lifestyles, it is very easy for money to become a God for us so this is a very telling comment verse 24 how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of god and he explained verse 25 indeed it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of god now there's been an awful lot of nonsense written about these words people talk of a gate in the walls of jerusalem called the eye of the needle and they explain that a camel could could squeeze through the gate if it took off its saddle and all its load that is not jesus's point at all jesus is giving a picture of something that is impossible a camel a full-grown mammal with humps the lot cannot pass through the eye of a needle he is being silly and ridiculous in many ways to make the point so let me be silly and ridiculous to make the point A camel <laughs> cannot go through the eye of a needle. Okay. You can't do I'm not even going to try and do it. I've not even a whole camel. No humps. Can't get it through. It's just silly. That's Jesus' point. And those who heard him say it got it. Verse 26. Who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, what is impossible with men is possible with God. It is impossible for rich people to enter the kingdom of God because their wealth becomes their God. We trust money and think that if we have enough of it, we can get out of any fix. Or we grow to love it so much that we we live for it. We want more and more of it. So a word to those who are just setting out on life. Those at school, those at uni, those who've got their first job. Don't get locked into a lifestyle that chokes your relationship with God. Beware the situation where you have a huge mortgage, private education for the children, the expectation of luxurious foreign holidays and expensive gadgets and a, a regular change of wardrobe and the best and finest whining and dining. I've spent uh, time with people who've been so locked into that kind of lifestyle that when an issue comes up at work, and remember it's usually their job that funds that lifestyle, they feel unable to stand for Christ. For fear of losing their job, which would mean losing everything they treasure. And so they don't put Jesus first, but their career. So that it can continue to Give them all these things they love so much. Don't get locked into that lifestyle. How hard it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, so hard it feels impossible to break out of it when you're in that situation. But verse 27, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Jesus has come on Mission Impossible. He came to live the perfect life because it's impossible for us to live how we should. He came to die for our sin because it's impossible for us to get rid of our sin. And he came to transform people to be wholehearted followers of God because on our own we can't live for him even when we want to. He came to give us new hearts where we put him first and above everything else. It seems impossible but he can do it. And I know he can do it because he did it with Peter and his followers. Look at verse 28. Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. And that leads to finally and briefly our sixth point, an encouraging perspective. See, Jesus and the disciples had left everything to follow Jesus. They had put Jesus first They'd given up their jobs. Do you remember when they were called? They threw down their fishing nets and followed him. They left their family for him. And now Peter was wondering if it was worth it all. And so Jesus said, verse 29, I tell you the truth, no one is left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life see what Jesus is saying here? If we give up our idols, well, it might be money, but it could be something else. If we give up our money, our idols, the things that we look to to make us happy and to give us security and to bring us comfort, if we do that, yes, we'll begin to feel vulnerable. And then Jesus reassures us that whatever we give up for him, we will gain more. Whenever I read these verses, I think of people who I know uh, who, who have followed Jesus and in the process their family have rejected them. Think of a few people in London. You know, one man who was, a, who was, a, who was a, a Jewish believer and became a Christian. His family hated him for it. Think of another girl who was a Muslim. Her family disowned her. And it was agony for them. But they were given hundreds of brothers and sisters in Christ who loved them think of someone who's been going through a rough time recently here in this church was telling me just this week how brilliant it is to be part of this church family as dozens of people have have helped them practically and emotionally through these last difficult weeks. See, when you're a member of this church family, you literally have, verse 30, hundreds of brothers and sisters. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this about this, this verse. If we take Jesus at his word, our reward is the fellowship of the church. Here is a visible brotherhood to compensate a hundredfold for all that we've lost. And one of the little challenges here is for us to be that. And wonderfully, so many of us are that to one another. We need to be that. When we feel we're missing out on stuff in this world, we need to come together and say, what a brilliant place to be. What a great family to be part of because I'm loved and cared. I seem to be missing, I'm missing on nothing. says we throw away our idols and put god first he provides now through his people and last two words in verse 30 he gives us eternal life this is not the vague possibility that cryogenics offers of a small chance that possibly perhaps one day scientists will be able to revive people from a frozen state and cure their disease only for them to live another 40 50 60 years before they die forever anyway No, this is eternal life where there'll be no more death, where we'll be able to enjoy life in a beautiful, perfect world with Jesus forever. So what must I do to inherit that life, eternal life? No, you're not good. Run to the cross of Jesus for forgiveness. Throw away whatever you've put in his place and put him first. And that's How you can be sure of eternal life. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that you speak right into the very deepest issues of our life and our world. We thank you again today for the Lord Jesus and his remarkable death on the cross, bringing us forgiveness making us right with you, securing eternal life forever. And we pray as we reflect on that, that we would be ready to put him first, put other things to one side, knowing that they will never deliver what he can give. And realising that as we put them to one side, we don't miss out, but we become part of a family, a family who'll love us, a family who'll help us, and ultimately be with us forever in eternity. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.